Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I'm sick of it. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, yeah, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, that is a Bible verse, and there's a hopeful second part of that that we'll get to in a little bit based on a listener question. You don't have to stay where your heart is sick. Well, we got some other questions here like, uh, Dan, should I wait out my miserable job until my business is profitable? My busy, biggest problem in working for myself has been the lack of structure and loneliness. How about this? I'm a career counselor at a university and I make $39,000 a year. I enjoy my work, but my wife is not happy. And then this, how can I evaluate personal development programs as being right for me? Now we got a bunch of questions today. Got some really cool good news things from what kids are doing in these challenging times we're in right now. But here's our quotation for today. And this relates to our current environment as well. Now, this is a verse as well. It comes from Proverbs 16.32, where it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, I've got a story that I want to share with you about one of our former presidents that puts some light on that. He who's slow to anger, but it's relevant for what we're seeing today where there's so much kind of glamorization of being angry. Jeez, we got to get over it. That's not one of, that's not, that's not what we do. That's what other people do. Not us. Well, our resource today is for being a coach and more and more people saying, wow, maybe I want to transition into helping other people live good, productive, happy, victorious, joyful lives. Well, whatever you want to do, you know, as a coach, if you have, I'll tell you what it takes to be a coach, but we've got a quiz. As you know, are you ready to be a coach? It's very, very popular quiz. You can just go to 48days.com slash ready. Just ready, R-E-A-D-Y, to see if you have what it takes to be a coach. That's something we require of people. I'll tell you really what we look for in terms of coaches coming in, again, based on a question we got coming up. Well, here's a couple of good news things. Here's a nine-year-old and friends who have raised over $100,000 for African-American businesses selling homemade bracelets. Now, you know, we've had a lot of unrest in Minneapolis. No secret about that. Well, these little nine-year-olds started all day when Cameron Johnson, five of her friends were bored. So in order to have a little bit of fun, they had the bright idea to sell some bracelets. And rather than just keep the money for themselves, Cameron's mom suggested it would be nice to do something positive for others. And the kids agreed. So Cameron and friends bracelets for unity and justice was born. Now this is real recent. These kiddos hope to make a small impact with their enterprise, but since May 30th, now again, think where we are here. This is real short timeline. We're now, you know, going into the end of June. So we're only three weeks into that. These kids have managed to raise over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, Cameron's dad is super proud she made over $800 the first day her dad, former NFL player Ron Johnson, told 
the news station. She has blisters on her fingers now. She's been working so hard. Small business owners in Minneapolis have been hit hard in recent months. First, the pandemic shut them down for a month. Then the violence, racial violence, resulted in damage and looting. So the money raised by Cameron and her friends will deliver welcome aid to those trying to get back on their feet. Now, the bracelets, they're selling the bracelets. This is pretty cool. And I, I love just how people respond to these kind of things. And of course, I love seeing child entrepreneurs, kid entrepreneurs. Wow, what a cool thing. But the bracelets cost $5 or she sells them for $5, but people have paid $20, 50 even $100 just to support the cause. And in addition to selling bracelets, even each woven with different colors, they've collected online donations that have tallied $46,000. That's a big chunk of it where people are just simply given because they know what they're doing. So a portion of the money raised will go toward providing food and household supplies to those in need. Uh, they got some charities lined up they're going to give to. What Ron is most proud of, though, lies beyond the world of good his daughter and her friends have done for local businesses and charities. They've managed to get people talking about things that matter. He says, day after day, we're having impactful conversations with so many people. So many of our community members have come by to drop off supplies or just talk about things like racism and injustice, stuff we don't talk about very often. Well, Cameron... This little nine-year-old says, when I'm older, I want to help people in need just like I'm doing now. Well, great story. Great things that kids are doing. Kids understand the challenges that we've got going on right now. Here's, here's another one. Here's another story about a, a kid who understands one of the challenges we've got going on. This is a homeschooled boy who's 12 years old. His name is Mizan, M-I-Z-A-N. He has designed and developed something for the COVID-19 a protection device. He calls the Safe Touch Pro. So what he did, he developed this little thing. It's just like a little hook. It's got a couple different kind of pointers on it, but it's something you can use to open doors. You can use it to put your number in like a keypad if it's required when you stop to pump for gas. It's just a little hook. So he developed this little prototype on his 3D printer and had his parents using them. They thought it was pretty cool. And so now he's printing these things out. Now I'll give you his website, but he's selling these for $14.99 a piece. And, and the video that goes with it is really impressive where it shows him, you know, you can open doors, pretty much any kind of door, including a car door with this little hook. So it keeps you from having to touch the actual handle. What he saw his mom, they were going places and she'd try to pull her sleeve down to cover her hand to then open a door so she wouldn't have to touch the handle, you know, which is one of those common places that's touched so many times that people are concerned about right now. So he developed this little thing. Now he is rocking it. He's selling hundreds of these things every day on his website, going out at $14.99 a piece. Now this is just an entrepreneurial business and this little kid is making money hand over fist. Now, his website is this, safetouchprohandle.com, safetouchprohandle.com. Go there and see what he did. I just get excited about it because, you know, I love these things that little entrepreneurs are doing. So here's, you know, there are a lot of people right now, and we got some questions here that address this, but 
a lot of people who are kind of wringing their hands, gee, they lost their job, you know, they don't know what to do, they're sitting at home. Well, we got kids who are seeing opportunities like this and just jumping in with something that's not real sophisticated. I mean, a lot of people could design something like this, but he took action. And that's what separates somebody who's getting results and somebody who doesn't. Well, now here's a story I want to tell you. Then we're going to go into some questions, but here's a story I want to tell you about being angry. Again, you know, it seems we glamorize anger today. I mean, an intelligent person speaking calmly is not going to be seen on tonight's news. However, some angry lunatic will command attention, be given opportunity to spew accusations and blame. I mean, you know how that goes. Golly, you know, Joanna and I were just appalled the other night having the news on and our local news here in Nashville. They were all set up downtown and there wasn't anything happening. There were a lot of people together. They were very peaceful, but you could tell what they were looking for was some kind of an angry outburst, somebody who was angry. That's what they're looking for. I mean, it's not very exciting to watch people who are calm and just talking to each other and understanding each other. That doesn't make news. Well, that's a story for another day that's frustrating. But, but anger is not impressive or a compliment to a person's character. I mean, typically, I mean, think about it. Typically, anger is a cover for some fear or weakness or a desire to shift responsibility to someone else. I mean, what are we seeing in terms of these angry outbursts that we're seeing on the news? I mean, they're not saying, gee, I need to work harder. I need to get my act together. No, they're saying, this is somebody else's fault. Somebody else did this. Somebody else needs to fix it. Somebody else needs to give me money. Well, it's, that's the way it goes. So here's my story. Now, this was on Halloween night when Dwight D. Eisenhower was 10 years old. His parents let his two older brothers go out for trick-or-treating, but they told Dwight he was too young to be given that privilege. Well, little Dwight was crushed. He tried to make a case for why he should be allowed to go as well, pleading and begging with his parents to change their minds. But as his brothers went off without him and he was left at home alone, fuming and angry, Golly, his rage grew. He ran out of the house and he started pounding away at the trunk of an apple tree in their backyard. I mean, slamming his fist into the tree until the flesh on his fist was ripped and bleeding. His father finally pulled him away, sent him to his room, where little Ike, as he was called, remember Ike, sobbed into his pillow, feeling like the whole world was against him. Well, after about an hour, his mom came into the room. She just kind of sat down in the rocking chair next to his bed. She rocked for a while without saying anything. Then she began to talk to young Dwight, telling him she was concerned about his anger. She said he could learn to control his temper or his temper would control him. She encouraged him that gaining self-mastery would open doors of opportunity for him that anger never would. And then Dwight's mom gave him a piece of wisdom that would guide his life from that moment forward for the rest of his life. Here's what she said. He that conquereth his own soul is greater than he who taketh the city. Now she was paraphrasing the verse we have from Proverbs. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. But she said, hating is a futile sort of thing. Hating anyone or anything means there's little to be gained. I mean, the person who encouraged your displeasure probably doesn't care, probably doesn't even know. And the only person injured is yourself. 
While his little Dwight's mother applied salve and bandages to his wounded hands, she gently pointed out that his uncontrolled anger had changed nothing and only caused damage and injury to himself. So he calmed down, fell asleep. Now, that's when he was 10 years old. When he was 76 years old and writing his autobiography, Dwight Eisenhower reflected, I, was all, I have always looked back in that conversation as one of the most valuable moments in my life. So let me just encourage you, the next time you find yourself in the middle of an angry outburst or seething at something that's unfair or ready to give somebody a piece of your mind, just ask yourself, is this actually making me feel better? Is this actually going to change any of the circumstances I wish were gone? Is this really the life I want? I like to read some of the old philosophers, and I see repeatedly philosophers telling us that every time you get angry, a little life leaves your body. Now, even in light of what's going on right now with the coronavirus, you know, there's some studies out there that show the most common factor for susceptibility to illness is our level of stress. How worked up are you? Now, circumstances may not be to your liking, I mean, you may lose your job or experience a business failing through no fault of your own. You know the politicians are making stupid decisions and things that are happening around you are just not fair. History is being shaped by forces beyond your control. But your mind and your spirit, those are yours. You can protect those. I mean, Try to remember little Ike when you find yourself getting mad. I mean, anger is not impressive or tough. It's a mistake. It might even be a trap someone is set for you to walk into. All right, let's jump into some some questions here. Well, this next one is really another success story, really. This comes from Jonathan, who says, I viewed my wife as a naysayer. I heard only the negative words. That changed when I embraced the philosophy that to be encouraged, I needed to be the encourager. Now my wife is way ahead of me in believing what we can do. Looking back, I was as negative as my wife. I chose different negative expressions. We both are becoming more intentional in building up each other and others. It's now overwhelming the possibilities of what we can do. Well, thanks, Jonathan. What a great note. My goodness. I mean, it's so true. We get back what we give out. And this is a great example of that. If you want more love to be shown to you, show more love out. If you want respect, show respect. If you want generosity, be generosity, be generosity, be generous. All right. Well, hey, let's go on here. Sandy says this. About a year ago, I contacted you asking if I should wait out my miserable job until I could make the big leap with my business full time, or if I should find a new job in the interim. I'm happy to report that I'm now a full-time entrepreneur and recently opened my dream store in a vacation town in Door County, Wisconsin. My sales so far this year are up 650% more than my entire last year's sales. Plus, my busy season hasn't even started yet. I'm truly living the dream. Thank you for recommending that I stick out my old job for the short time before making the big leap. It made it possible... For me to become a full-time entrepreneur, if you're ever in our town, I'd be sure to stop in and say, hi, I'd love to buy you lunch. Well, well, thanks. I'd love to take you up on that. Don't have any plans to be coming to Wisconsin anytime soon, Sandy, 
But if I do, I'll be sure to check out where you are. Now, here's my, I I don't remember this particular question, but I certainly, there are a lot of scenarios that are like that. And here's my general advice in this. If you are looking to build your own business, if you can ramp it up in 12 months and make a full transition, don't change jobs. Just keep what you've got as a reasonable vehicle to give you a base income. If you change jobs, you're going to have a learning curve no matter what. And for most jobs, if you take a job, you know, they invest in you, go through the interviewing process and all that. For the most part, you know, there's kind of an implied two to three year expectation that you're going to stay there. So don't take a job knowing that you're going to leave in six months. So if you have a job, even if it isn't ideal, but you are building something on the side and you anticipate that becoming your full-time thing, golly, just get serious about doing that. I mean, we got hundreds of stories about people using those 15 hours a week that we talk about doing that and being up and running in six months, eight months, 10 months, whatever it takes. That's what we encourage that you do. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here about submitting questions. We got a, had a whole lot of them this week and appreciate those coming in. I always consider it an honor to open those and check them out. But uh, you can just shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, you can also leave a verbal message. We have people do that. I usually shorten it up anyway for just a, a quick question that we can share here. But either way, any, any place on our site, 48days.com, has that magic little microphone that you can pick up and uh, just speak into it if you want to. But the easiest thing for most people is just to submit a quick email to askdan at 48days.com. Now, this comes from Darla, and this has to do with that hope deferred, where she says, I'm writing you as I finish my morning devotion, Um, the devotion, dedicated devotion time for 48 days straight shook me at my core. So I just had to write this email. Why is it so hard to find that thing that makes you light up or feels like sunshine on your face every day? I've been searching for over two years to get into that elusive clarity zone where you find work that you were born and purpose to do. I repeat to myself, if I can identify that sweet spot, I will work doggedly in that area. I remarked to a friend, uh, Recently, watch out. Once I discover it, I'll either achieve nirvana or annihilation. Any advice for the desperately hopeful? By the way, the devotional came from Proverbs thirteen twelve, where it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. I mean, that's the other half. I mean, that's what we're expecting. When the desire comes, it's a tree of life. So hope deferred, yeah, if you're just sitting around not knowing you know, what you should be doing, not knowing what your passion is, not knowing what your purpose or mission or calling is, yeah, that can make you sick, literally. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Well, here's, here's the deal on this. So Darla, here's what I want you to do. Clarity comes from taking action, not from hoping, and, eat, and not even from continued learning and knowledge. You have to move beyond just accumulating more knowledge to understanding and application. You know, we hear from a lot of people who want to do something on their own. They want to move into more profitable, more productive, more exciting work, whether that be a job or something they're doing on their own. And so they, you know, read 10 books, they listen to 35 podcasts, they go to five conferences, 
and nothing changes. Well, those things can be a starting point, but you have to move beyond just accumulating knowledge to understanding and application. Now, here's another verse that may be encouraging or it may be disturbing. It's one that, again, a lot of us are familiar with, Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, a lot of people assume from that, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to sit on a rock until God gives me clarity. But you know what? That kind of waiting, the word used there for they that wait upon the Lord is is from the same word that we get waiter or waitress. I mean, you, you want to make sure that your waiting is comparable to being a waiter in a very busy restaurant. You're not just sitting in a corner hoping people are going to give you tips. No, you're out there serving, really making things happen. That's the kind of waiting that gives you clarity. So here's what you can do. Make a list of 20 things you can do that you, you know, think might be okay. 20. Filter that through what you know about yourself. Now, in 48 Days to the Working Love, I talk a lot about, you know, you get clarity by looking inward first, not by just looking externally at where the opportunities are. Look inward. What are your unique skills and abilities? How do you relate to other people? What are your personality traits? What are your values, dreams, and passions? Filtering those 20 ideas through that, you ought to be narrow, able to narrow down pretty quickly. I mean, like in a two-hour period, narrow that down to four or five. Then do a little bit more research, then choose one and act. And you can do that in 48 days. So don't let this being hopeful, hope deferred, don't expect that just to go on and on and on. That doesn't need to be, you know, six months or a year, two years, three. No. Move through that by taking action. And you can move through that very, very quickly and get clarity. Start taking action. I mean, even when we talk about passion, you know, passion is more developed than it is discovered. It's by doing something, get in the game. So getting in the game, even if you don't have 100% confidence that that's it, just doing that will help give you increased clarity. That's why I often talk about, you know, the first jobs that we have out of college or high school, you know, those first three or four jobs. I mean, a lot of times the primary value of those is just that it gives us increased clarity about what we don't want to do. So don't be concerned about waiting, waiting, waiting until you find the perfect job. No, just get out there and do something. Same with business. Most entrepreneurs don't have success in their first idea. It's usually after you know, five or six or seven or eight, that all of it, then it comes together, but they learn in the process of doing things that don't work, how to get closer and closer to what does. Well, let's go on. George, won, he titled his aspiring coach. This is pretty interesting. He says, Dan, I'm 27 years old. I have a bachelor's degree in welding engineering. And though I have a degree that could get me an excellent job, my personality the Myers-Briggs is INFJ, and passion just doesn't line up with the job I could get. I've been a welder fabricator for three years now, and much of the joy I've found in it is in the deep conversations I have with my colleagues. Now, this is a great example of what I just talked about. So George has a job. It's a good job, honorable job, welding, fabrication. 
but he's recognizing his real satisfaction, his gratification from the job isn't from the work that he's doing as much as the interaction with other people that he's working with, those conversations. So he says, uh, in college, I found myself coaching many people through their problems, life dilemmas, and towards service opportunities that aligned with their strengths. I seem to be good at it, and I loved every bit of it. Many people are encouraging me toward education in Christian counseling or pastoral counseling, but ultimately I want to be a coach. Should I pursue your coaching mastery program, or should I gain more life experience in a specific line of work before considering the coaching rule? What specific line of work would you suggest? Thanks for your time, George. Wow, great, great questions in there. Now, he has a bachelor's degree in welding engineering. And at 27 years old, let's assume that he's been out of school for five years. Well, guess what? We know that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. Now, that doesn't negate the value of the degree. There's a whole lot of things that we gain personally from a degree, even if the specific training doesn't line up with a career that we want to pursue. So that's okay. So this seems like, George, you have gotten that additional clarity from your years of working, and you're seeing it more and more line up with coaching. Now, here's the deal about coaching. Great coaches... Wow, you know, I want to be really careful about how I lay this out because we have some amazing coaches in our 48 Days Coaching Community who do not have an academic degree that you would think prepared them for coaching. Well, let, let me give you an example. I had a gentleman who dropped out of school in the 10th grade, hated school. He just wanted to work with his uncle who was working on cars. He was a car nut. And that's what he wanted to do. So he started working with his uncle. Well, he then started a little monthly magazine, Mustang Monthly, because he was a Mustang owner. So he just put together just fun things about Mustangs for other people. Well, that little newsletter grew into a magazine. Then he added Mopar Madness, added a few other titles like that. And and then a few years ago, he sold that business to Peterson Publishing for $18 million. Having done so, our paths crossed soon after. He was terrified that people were going to find out that he didn't even have a high school degree. And his knee-jerk reaction was, I need to take some of the money I just got and just buy another business. That's what I do. And I said, no, 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 no. Let's, let's wait. Let's look at this in a little broader scope. Today, he is a business coach. He's on the board of multiple companies that are growing because they draw on his unique business expertise. Now, he still doesn't have a college degree. He doesn't have a high school degree. He's just extremely successful because he understands the principles of business. That's an example. So, you don't have to do, I mean, people who come to you as a coach, I mean, people who come to me as a coach, I mean, there's not one in 5,000 who ask about my academic background. It has very little relevance. What they say is, oh, wow, you worked with my neighbor three years ago, changed his life. When can I get in to see you? 
wow, I, just, I read one of your books. I saw you on TV. I've been a part of the 48 Easy Eagles community. I see what you're doing. When can I? I mean, those are the kind of things that position you. It's real life experience. Now, so what we look for in our, and you're asking about our coaching mastery program. And incidentally, when you talk about uh, people are encouraging to get an education in Christian counseling or pastoral counseling, I suspect that those are going to be way too slow and loosely connected to what you really want to do. When you think about the broad scope of things, they're going to require just as part of a degree like that. Plus, unfortunately, they're not likely to teach you much about a business. Our coaching mastery program is known for the business focus that we have. Yes, we do talk about and work on the psychology, the psychodynamics of coaching for sure. But we also nail it when it comes to the business of coaching. I mean, that's why we've got coaches who are extremely successful. I mean, just had somebody, one of our coaches came through our program. Uh, She's done amazingly well. Last year, she broke $500,000 as a coach. Um, That was considerably more than she was used to making as a lowly staff attorney. Well, but we do that by focusing on the business of coaching. So what we look for, and incidentally, I gave as a our resource today, do you have what it takes to be a coach? 48days.com slash ready. Just go there. It'll walk you through. You'll get a quick kind of score as to whether or not we think you have what it takes to be a coach. But on our coaching mastery application, and you can go there, I'll put a link to that. You can, if you just go to our coaching mastery program, you'll find it. But um, you know, we ask questions. Um, we ask questions about how you're positioned already, because we know that if somebody's already in the game, they already have some social media connections out there. They already have connections on LinkedIn. They maybe already produced a little course or a little program or a little ebook or audio or something or wrote a degree or, or I mean, wrote a, wrote a book. I mean, those are things. Yeah, we do look for those. We look for what are you doing to already be engaged in life? Not just what degree do you have, but some of these other things as well. Um, what do you have to offer that you think people need? Why would someone call you for coaching, come to hear you speak or attend a class of yours? I mean, those are the kind of things that we ask in there. Well, again, I'll put a couple of those links in there. If, but, um, yeah, George, great question. And I, I commend you on being willing to realign what you're doing in your work. And you may, I mean, what you're doing in welding fabrication You've always, you'll always have that. It could be a sideline for you. It could be a hobby for you. Again, what you gained in getting that degree goes way beyond just the specifics of welding for sure. In terms of the personal development that happened, even while you're in college and you attest to that and how you frame your question. Great question. All right. This comes from Stelios in Cyprus. All right. Who says I published two books on Kindle. I'm on my way to building a website for them. My biggest obstacle and problem when started working for myself has been the lack of structure accompanied with loneliness. Lack of structure in my working creates procrastination, which is an issue I haven't yet managed to deal with. Anybody sharing the same struggles? Are there any solutions to the above issues I'm not aware of? All right, so here's the deal, Stelios. Great question, and a lot of people experience this when they move into doing something on their own. You can create your own structure. 
And, and I'm sure you're capable of doing that. I mean, I'll tell you about mine here, but if you need someone else to do that for you, uh, that's called being an employee. So create your own structure. I mean, I, on Mondays, I deal with all business things. That's when I meet with my team, anything having to do with vendors, new products, new computers or whatever that we need. I deal with that on Monday. Tuesday is all coaching. So that's when I have coaching appointments. That's when I work with people in the coaching mastery program. So when I have my own mastermind call, all of that takes place. A lot of intense engagement with people on Tuesday, Wednesdays, Wednesday morning, I go through the questions that have been submitted and produce the podcast that you're listening to now. Wednesday afternoon, I'm available for interviews. It's the only time during the week I'm available for interviews. Thursday and Friday, deep work. Now, I love solitude, and I block those two days out for working on courses, manuscripts, you know, new books. Those are the kind of things I do on Thursday, Friday. So you can do that. You can create your own structure. Now, loneliness, again, create time and a plan to connect with others. Now, if you, again, if you have to be with people, you know, eight hours a day, uh, then maybe working on your own like you're doing is not really a good fit. But if you can, if you can address your loneliness through having those intermittent times when you're with people, you can do that. Wow, be, you can be part of the 48 Days Eagles community. I mean, those people are connected, having fun in there. You know, anytime you want to jump into the fun, you can. Be part of your chamber of commerce. Be a member of your local Rotary Club, where once a week you meet for lunch. So that you can build in as much as you want connection with other people. But take the initiative. Don't think people are going to come knock on your door. Take the initiative so you build in the contact with other people that you want. So stay in the driver's seat. Now, the things that we expect, I recently had Gina Wickman you know, on the podcast here who wrote the new book, Entrepreneurial Leap. And he says to be an entrepreneur, to work on your own, you need six characteristics. Those are visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, risk taker, responsible. Blame no one else. So if you have those and keep on track and you can build your success as an entrepreneur. All right. Brad says, do you have any advice on how I can increase the number of referrals? I get to my medical practice. I'm one of a number of physicians in the same specialty in our city. I've been here for about five and a half years. I've had some bad experiences along the way. I know these have dented my reputation as people like to talk. I've learned a lot about them and believe they've made me better, but I don't have any way of getting this message across to the referring doctors. I'm considering sending letters, advertising my services, as well as an interesting article to selected doctors. I'm from an ethnic minority in a predominantly white area, which does not help, but that can't be changed. Thanks for your help. Well, thanks for your question. You know, just oh, just this week, uh, Scott Beebe, his business on purpose, you know, a dear friend, rocking and rolling, what he's doing as a coach. But he asked me, he says, how are we growing members in our 48 Days Eagles community. And I laughed. I said, the best way we have to have more members joining us is to have happy members sharing already what they're experiencing. We don't do a lot of reaching out, you know, doing Facebook ads, try to find somebody who never heard us of us before. We don't do that. We just try to make it really interesting 
for the people who are there. And they spread the word like nothing else. Now, in your, in your situation, you need referrals from the doctors. And I mention that because I think your best opportunity is to build relationships with those referring doctors. So invite them to lunch. You know, attend a seminar that they're doing. You know, show up for an event where one of them is going to be honored. But build those relationships if that's really what you need. And I don't know what specialty you're in, but if that's what you need, my goodness. Yeah, don't try to stay behind the scenes. Don't just send a letter. Reach out. Make those personal connections. And I assume probably with with most specialties, whatever it happens to be that you're in. But you probably need five or six referring doctors to fill your schedule. So it's not like you need 5,000 people. So just be very intense, intentional about building relationships with those people who have the ability to refer you business for your specialty. All right, this comes from Richard. Who says, Dan, I'm a great fan of yours. Appreciate all you do. I've worked as a career counselor in a local university here in Georgia for four and a half years, and I earned $39,000 a year, which is not enough for my wife and two kids who are under six years of age. My commute is about an hour an hour and 30 minutes one way. Oh my gosh. I enjoy what I do because it gives me a chance to speak to college audiences on my campus. My passion is motivational speaking. People tell me I'm a great speaker. The problem is that my wife is getting frustrated with my low pay, wants me to get another job closer to home that pays more. I understand her frustration, but I really want to enjoy what I do and make good money too. I started my own speaking business but it's going to take time to build on top of that. My long commute and then weekends watching my kids while my wife works has made it difficult to build a business. I feel trapped and I need your advice. Should I just get a job closer to home that pays more, whether I enjoy it or not, or should I focus on transitioning into my own business? Now, the other part of this question equation is that we need more money. Now, please help. Some helpful strategies would be appreciated. My gosh, man, I, I, Richard, I, I feel Feel your pain there. You know, and it breaks my heart. If someone in a university, as a career counselor, helping kids decide what they're going to do, and you are being paid $39,000. I mean, it's pretty hard to get somebody excited about an opportunity where they're going to make $300,000 when you're making thirty nine. You're going to tend to see opportunities line up with what you've experienced personally. Yeah, I, I would encourage you to do something else. But now, before that, I, I got to not get the cart before the horse. Here's the first thing to do. That's decide, what do you want your life to look like three years from now? That will determine the immediate decisions you need to make. If you look out three years from now and you say, gee, I really love this work that I'm doing at the university. It's really worthwhile work. I know the pay stinks but you know, I get so much other personal satisfaction from it. Then your solution is going to be, what can you do to create income beyond what you're getting as a salary? And what you're going to want to look at is what is it that will create residual income? What is it that you can do once and get paid multiple times? Now, just this last week, a gentleman named Jeremy, who lives up in Indiana, came down to yard sale that we were having here at our place. And in a short conversation, we walked into the back warehouse and he purchased 12 cases of the 2015 
version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Now, I'm promoting the 2020 version, but I have those in inventory and needed to get rid of them. He bought 12 cases, 432 copies. He's an Amazon seller. He understands that. I don't. He does. I sold them to him for a a dollar a piece. Well, they're selling on Amazon for like $15 a piece. So he can put that up and see, here's, here's the way this works. He can put one book up and because he has 432, he doesn't have to go through all the work to reposition, repost a new product every time. He works at a university just like you do, Richard. He works at a university. He's not paid a lot of money, but he has a side business that makes more money than his job. So at the end of the day, it works pretty well. So I don't, I'm not saying that it needs to be Amazon, but you need to figure out something that you can do if, in fact, you love your work so much you want to keep that job. Now, if the job is nothing but an income source for you anyway, then by all means, I'd say do a job search and get a job that pays you twice as much money closer to home. An hour and a half commute, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. And again, that that diminishes your pay. I don't blame your wife for being frustrated. I mean, you can go to, I mean, I just checked here as we're talking, the average salary at Home Depot is $38,990 a year. That's $10 less than what you're making. I mean, go to the Home Depot that's a half mile down the road and get a job and replicate your income. Now, here's the other thing, and I'll just touch on this. I can't, we don't have time to unpack this totally, but you say you want to be a motivational speaker. That's really cool. Cool. I mean, I love that. I mean, we have a lot of people who are speakers. However, you're going to have to have something besides that. That's not likely to overtake your income. I mean, there are very few people I know. I mean, like Andy Andrews, sure, you're going to get a lot of money. Or Bill Clinton. I mean, there are people who, celebrities who get a lot of money. But that's not the norm. I mean, most speakers start off with $2,500 a piece. You know, to work your way up to 5000 is pretty commendable. A lot of people are doing that. But it's, again, just linear income. You do it once, get paid once, and then you start over. So it's week to week, month to month, every time you're starting over again. And like what happened right now? Wow. Kent Julian, who's our dean of speaking in the 48 Days Eagles community, he had 19 speaking engagements canceled in the last couple of months. 19. If he didn't have other income streams, he'd be up a creek right now. So if you're going to be a speaker, then you also ought to be looking immediately at what are you going to have in terms of product sales, coaching, live events, affiliate commissions, a membership site, other things you can do to leverage around that because you're going to be very vulnerable if you're trying to depend on speaking alone. Well, Gally, I hope, I hope you're involved. In, I didn't check. I hope you're involved in our 48 Days Eagles community because we got a lot of people in there who understand speaking, how to leverage it, how to grow that. And um, hopefully you are there. Incidentally, if you're listening, you're not familiar with the 48 Days Eagles, just go to 48dayseagles.com. Not 48days.com, 48dayseagles.com. Give you a quick overview there. The door's open. We don't have open and closed doors. Doors open. We have people every day who are joining us. All right, this says, this is this comes from Rick. It says, Dan, I've always been successful in my career, although not happy with work, but rather simply content with my success. After a very tumultuous year, I find myself searching for a new vocation, 
My problem lies in the fact that unlike my most recent job search, I now have a very regretful domestic battery charge on my record. This was a horrible mistake, which happened in the heat of the moment after I discovered my wife was having an affair. What words or tips of encouragement can you provide when searching for a new position? I disclose this event on every application. If it comes up, I'm 100% honest about it. Other than that, what do you recommend? All right. Now, I'm going to have to handle this quick because I got a couple others here here that I want to get in. But there are a whole lot of job opportunities out there where this should not be an issue. Now, I'm talk, not talking about being misrepresentative or deceitful or hiding, but it just won't come up. And obviously, this is something you don't want to come up. If you've corrected your manners and your behavior, you don't want it to come up as a focal point and people see that as kind of hanging around, you know, the scarlet letter around your neck. No, you don't want that. There's a whole lot of places that are hiring that don't have detailed applications and background checks. I mean, you show up at a construction site, they're not going to go, gee, what were you like, you know, three years ago? They're going to say, man, do you know how to swing a hammer? You know, you know how to frame up this room we're working on. I mean, there's a whole lot of places that don't have those kind of complicated, detailed background checks for new employment. If you're going to work for a, a bank or a university or a government institution, it's going to be lengthy and painful and they're going to uncover all this. But there's a whole lot of places that won't. Now we're, we're used to working with people coming out of prison. There's amazing opportunities for people coming out of prison. If you focus your job search in the right direction, just don't go to those places where that background is going to be going to be a problem. Um, Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab one more here. Now I'll come back to some of these later. Steve says, Dan, it seems these days there's a plethora of personal development and growth coaching and other experts who have the class, the program, the seminar, live event, et cetera, that can take my next life to the next level and beyond. And for just $97, 970 or $997, $1997, or even $19,997, I can climb out of my boring rut and start to soar. And they all sound interesting. I'm ready to take the next steps in pursuing my growth and start living out my passion, but I don't have unlimited funds to participate in everything that sounds interesting. Can you provide some tips or guidance for evaluating these kinds of offers or programs to make sure our dollars are wisely spent? Yeah, I can. Here, here's the deal. Yeah, there's so many things out there. Now, I look for things. I look for programs. I just this morning saw something on Facebook, and I subscribed, and I know I'm going to get an offer to join, but it's something I'm really interested in. It really has to do with exotic cars. I won't go into, so it's not even in the, the area that you may think I would be looking. Well, but here's what I do. I look for investing 5% of my total income in personal development. Use that as a guide. So don't spend $10,000 on something if you're making $39,000 a year. It doesn't make sense. You can't do that. But you can spend 5% of your income. So if you're making $50,000 a year, you know, look for opportunities where you're going to be able to invest $2,500 in a program. If you're making $100,000, you got $5,000 to spend. And do that because I believe so strongly in the payback from doing that, that I don't want to break the cycle. So do that for sure, but don't go crazy on spending in a way that doesn't make sense based on your current level of success. And then just be realistic. I mean, talk to other people who've been through the program. 
you know, ask for testimonials, you know, and then be realistic too. Is it going to add something new to what you already know or what you can find for free out there? I mean, I believe in the power of investing in a program because of the accountability that'll come with it, but just make sure that it's in line with what you're doing. I mean, I'm part of some pretty expensive programs because again, as a percentage of my income, it makes sense. And I want to keep using that percentage, that 5% of my income. Well, we're going to wrap up. My goodness, we're out of time. And I'll give you a quick wrap up here. You can ramp up your own business in 12 months. If you can do that, don't change jobs now. Clarity comes from taking action, not from hoping. You can learn to coach if you can listen and ask great questions. If you need someone else to create your structure, keep your job. You can be a motivational speaker if you develop three or four other income streams and spend three to five percent on your total income on personal development. Remember our verse for today? He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this. Submit your questions at askdan at 48days.com. Thanks for being part of this group where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.